trends with a voice. I wish to welcome everyone to this new episode of my podcast, Trends with a Voice. In this episode, I have the pleasure to welcome Alex Brownstein. They identify as non-binary and queer. They study in education at the University of Moncton, and they are an activist for 2S LGBTQIA plus rights. My first question for you would be, talk a bit about yourself, your, your life story. Well, thank you. So, welcome everyone. My name is Alex Brownstein. I use they, them pronouns in English. I am trans, non-binary, queer, gay person, all of the above. I am originally from Cape Breton in Nova Scotia, from a very, very small rural community about 40 minutes away from the nearest gas station, if you can believe it, in the middle of nowhere, surrounded by woods and forest, um, moose, squirrels, trees. Grew up there. Started French immersion in grade 7. After high school, decided that I want to better my French. I did not feel my French was at the same level as my English, so I decided to come to Moncton in New Brunswick, take that five-hour drive and <laughs> move my stuff into residence, my small residence a room that I had my first year of university on the campus of Moncton. I started my education degree. I did a combined Bachelor of Arts, Bachelor of Education in five years in Moncton. Thought I would become a teacher. Decided I was too much of a nerd to be a teacher, if you can imagine that. Usually people go into teaching because they are a nerd. I did that and then realized I am still a nerd and want to go a step more and go into research. I'm now doing a master's in sociology with the goal of doing a doctorate in education down the line. So a few more years of studying to go. We'll see where that takes me from there. I have a few ideas in mind. One of the things that I always go back to is the queer community, which is the goal today to talk about. Like I said, I'm a non-binary, trans, queer, and gay person. And being here today, using those identities, has been a journey, which I will be more than happy to share with you. Perfect. So let's start with my first question. I'm curious to know, how was it being queer in a small community in Cape Breton? Not much representation, to sum it up. Honestly, the queer community in Cape Breton from my understanding when I was a kid, was pretty non-existent. The first time I heard anything to do with gender, sexual, and romantic diversity was in third grade. And really when I mean like anything to do, like I'm talking minimum, the bar is low. Bit of a shy kid, kind of a loner. I was very much into my books, which hasn't really changed. <laughs> but... I, unfortunately, did go, go through some bullying when I was younger. And in third grade, I remember there was one day on the school bus when some older kid started calling me a lesbian. And everyone started laughing at me. I did not know what lesbian was at the time, but I figured it was a bad thing if people were going to laugh at me for it. 
So I pretty much decided that I would never want to become a lesbian. Couldn't really hold back my tears at the time, uh, which didn't help the bullying. But that was what I knew about the queer community until about the seventh grade, where I started actually learning about the queer community in school. We would be presented the gender unicorn or the gender bread man at the time um, in school to kind of talk about the 2SLGBTQ plus community, talk about what it was being gay. And the reactions from my peers was to make fun of it. Gay was a term that was used as an insult in the hell. I did not know anyone personally that identified as being queer. So what I knew of queer people were people on the posters or in the videos that they'd show us in school. But it wasn't a reality that was concrete. It was this abstract thing that was taught in these schools. But I didn't know anyone personally that identified as queer. And so it was something that was more made fun of amongst classmates. There are terms that were used in the hallways when I was in middle school that I don't want to repeat on this podcast because they were terms that were used even though the intention of the person maybe wasn't to insult someone who is queer. The terms that they used were terms that were historically used against people who were queer, against people like me. And so that was the environment I grew up in. And it wasn't until the eighth grade where our school got a new guidance counselor who identified openly as a lesbian. And that's when I realized that there are real people that identify as queer. Real people with real stories and cool, nice people. The guidance counselor at my school helped me a lot. I had a lot of like anxiety when it came to evaluations and exams, and she helped me a lot through it. And I realized there are great people who are there for me, are there for others, and just happened to be queer. I, I met her and then I started meeting more and more people who identified as queer and realized that there are actually queer people in Cape Breton. It wasn't something I realized before eighth grade. And I think it was eighth grade was late to realize it. But there are queer people in Cape Breton and just took me time to kind of get to know other queer people. And that's when I started realizing that like, in my school, there was GSA, a Gender Sexual Alliance. At the time, it was called the Gay-Straight Alliance, although now we prefer the term Gender Sexual Alliance. We evolve with the times. There was a group at my school. So I joined the group to meet other queer people. I, for me at the time, it was something that was completely not to do with me but other people. So I was like, oh, there are other p queer people that face bullying because they're queer and I want to help them because even though I'm not queer, I want to be a good ally. So I joined that committee being the good ally that I was and then started questioning my own sexual orientation. As about ninth grade, when I did start kind of questioning my own sexual orientation by realizing that there were other people that were gay, lesbian, bisexual around me. You'll notice I avoid the terms trans and non-binary and because at that time it was simply I did not know any other trans or non-binary people. When I learned about the queer community, it was very much based upon sexual orientation. So I learned what it was being 
lesbian, gay, bisexual, pansexual, but it was very limited. I'll add a little bit on what you said. First, I grew up in a small town too, not as small as yours, but I grew up in Norton, New Brunswick, uh, more precisely in Batters. And when I grew up, I did not see anyone that was trans. What I saw was people that were gay. I remember in high school, there was someone that was openly gay and really flamboyant. And that person, I think, was the first person to come out at our school as gay. And I remember seeing that person being bullied so much that I was like, I don't want anything to do about like being gay because I'll get bullied. Why I felt like that is because I had a lot of bullying when I was younger. And a lot of the time people were calling me gay. They were saying, are oh, you too much like a girl? Like, are oh, you gay? And people were just laughing and laughing at me. So for me, in my head was like gay equal bad at that time. The lack of visibility of people that were trans and also the lack of just a queer community with activists, like having more visibility in school, that was missing. And I had some people that I know from high school that are my friend now that they knew someone that was trans, but not me because that person was at a different school. But even in a smaller town, two persons can have a completely different experience. Someone can know multiple queer people and someone, they don't know them at all. Living in, in the small time at that time, that's more than 10 years ago, it was hard because I did not have that visibility and the resources available to me. One of the things that is important now is to make sure that Wherever you live, you can be queer without fearing for your security and also be accepted by your friends, your family, your workplace, etc. That's one of my goals with my podcast, to get that information to everyone. Now I want to talk about the main subject of the podcast today. It's about coming out. Last week on October 11th, we add the International Coming Out Day. I want us to talk about our coming out experience because each trans person coming out experience is different. Could you share a bit about your coming out and how it went? So instead of talking about my coming out, I like to talk about my coming out plural um, and separate when it comes to my sexual orientation and my gender identity. So I'll start with my sexual orientation because that was the first coming out that I did. For me, honestly, my sexual orientation was not something I reflected on a lot. I was preoccupied by other things. As a kid, I did not have time for little crushes. I was interested in reading books, assigning myself research projects. Yes, I straight up assigned myself research projects when I was in primary. I remember in grade four assigning myself a research project on the history of Poland, where I had to do a PowerPoint on the history of Poland, which if you know anything about the history of Poland, that country like disappears and comes back after every few years. 
So it's just a country that's like there, and then two years later it's not there, and then two years later it's there, but in a different place. It's a complicated history. I was busy studying that history. I am a nerd. Busy with other things, like studying history of countries. So it was only around the ninth grade where I actually started questioning my own sexual orientation. Because that's where I started actually having crushes and feelings for others and started realizing I was attracted to other people. I was, like I said, very much in my books before that. And although I was still very much in my books in ninth grade, I started having other interests, as middle schoolers usually end up having. And ninth grade was the year as well where at our school we had a ninth grade prom because that's the year that we left our school to go into high school in 10th grade. So it was a big deal in ninth grade. And prom was also a big deal. People were asking each other out on dates from like January till the end of June. It kind of took over the middle school brains of everyone. That's when my friends started being in relationships, started dating each other. And my friend group suddenly went from this friend group who, you know, we all hang out and talk about books and school to talking about crushes and relationships. So my, I started thinking about it, which as a ninth grader is completely normal. But I started realizing I was a little more attracted to the females in my class than the males. In fact, I had zero attraction to any of the males. But being born female, I figured that being attracted to males was a given. Therefore, I must be bisexual because if I'm attracted to females, it's just the plus. It's like the bonus on top of it. I had a friend who identified as male at the time. One of my closest friends who asked me out to prom. As friends, I said yes. And we were the stereotypical heterosexual couple at prom, even though, fun fact, I later came out as non-binary and her as a trans female. So our prom pictures in grade 12 were very different to those in grade 9. <laughs> um, if anyone wants to write a movie about that, feel free. So, yeah, I started thinking more about it and started realizing that I was attracted to females. I was attracted to the other girls in my class. And then after ninth grade, that's when I, between ninth and tenth grade that summer, that's when I really started reflecting more and more on my sexual orientation and realizing I did not see myself being attracted to guys at all. Um, I saw myself being attracted to females, and I started identifying more and more with the term lesbian. Now, I will say, I since then have came out as non-binary, and I prefer not to use the term lesbian anymore, but I'm going to say lesbian for this podcast just to, to explain where I was situated at the time with my own identity. So I started thinking more and more on the fact that I might be a lesbian. And that's when I realized how much I internalized all the comments, all the microaggressions I was hearing in the hallways. When I remembered that time in third grade when I was called a lesbian and everyone started laughing at me and I realized I had suddenly become that one thing I swore I would never become. Came with a lot of hate. You know, I started self-harming at the time. 
I started having suicidal thoughts. It got to a really dark place. And that's when I realized I had to tell people because I could not keep it to myself anymore. I felt like I was keeping this huge secret from everyone and I could no longer hold that secret on my own. So I had a choice to make. In order to protect myself from committing suicide, I had to tell people. I had to get it off my chest. So I started telling some of my close friends. At the beginning, I never did an official coming out or anything. The way I phrased it was, I think I'm a lesbian. I kept the I think I am because I could not admit it to myself. I could not look myself in the mirror and say I am a lesbian. The words would not come out of my mouth. In fact, at one point, one of the first people I came out to, I wrote, I think I'm a lesbian on the note app on my phone and showed it to her because I couldn't even bring up the words. So I started, but I did start telling people and then it kind of became easier. The more I told people, like that first time I did it through text, the second time I couldn't say it out loud. So I wrote it in my notes app and then I was able to start saying it out loud and I would start telling people and then slowly the word I think started dropping and I started defining myself more and more as a lesbian. I kept it between friends though because I was still worried about the judgment of others and the judgment of my family and then I believe it was in June of that year in so it would have been 2016 at the time I was in 10th grade there was a shooting um, at a gay nightclub in Orlando Florida the gay nightclub was called Pulse. There was this night party at this gay nightclub, and there was someone who came in with a gun and shot and killed a few people and injured more. That was the first time that some national event actually affected me personally. I remember I spent the day just saddened by these news, and I, I felt so emotional about this happening and I couldn't understand why this was affecting me so much when I didn't even know anyone involved this nightclub in Florida that I've never even been to but the thought that someone went in to shoot people like me because they're like me that affected me a lot so I wrote a response on Facebook um, because sometimes when I don't know what my, where my mind's going, I like to write. It's something that I've done since I was a kid. I wrote a response on Facebook and posted it. Left home, did not have a phone at the time, so had no way of accessing that post when I was gone. Went to a candlelight vigil that evening for the event. Remember I said I lived 40 minutes away from the nearest gas station? Well, this vigil was like an hour and a half away. Went to this vigil, came home. So like picture like six, seven hours later. Came home to this post and a bunch of messages from my fans saying, did you just come out on Facebook? I realized the post was a little too personal and I had in fact come out personally on Facebook to everyone. It was a shock because it was not what I intended to do. I read this post to be a reaction post that had nothing to do with me but I now make fun of myself when I read it because there's no way of denying it's a coming out post like it's very very obvious that I was coming out even though I didn't mean it so it was 
almost like ripping the band-aid off, <laughs> literally. And everyone knew. And the next day I went to school and suddenly everyone knew. And honestly, it's like I had built up all these expectations for something that never happened. I thought that coming out would be the worst thing. For me, in my brain, I had two options. It was not come out and kill myself or come out and be killed. Because that's what happened to those people in the gay nightclub, was they were shot and killed. But people didn't take it that badly. In fact, people didn't really care that I was gay. They just kind of kept going with their lives. And I just happened to be out. There was a few people that were congratulating me for coming out. Um, but other than that, it went fine. My parents, it wasn't even a big deal with, for them. Um, then they kind of told some of the family members. My family were not like the, the closest family. My parents and my sister and I lived in Cape Breton. Everyone else was in Montreal. So there was a, a big gap uh, between us. But my parents did tell those family members who they thought would be more accepting of it. And it was kind of that. So with my sexual orientation, I like to think that it was between ninth and 10th grade. It was a two years that, it was two years that was very, very difficult. High in emotions, high in stress, a lot of, a lot of dark thoughts. And then I thought I would come out and that would be it. But then I started questioning my gender identity. I'll talk a bit about my story. There are some aspects that are similar to yours. First, for me, it was I really started exploring my gender identity before my uh, sexual orientation. The first time, really, I noticed that I was different. It started like in school when I was bullied, but at that time, I was like. I felt I was bullied because it was my fault. I was not good enough for the others. So I tried to fit in the box of a stereotypical guy at school. And then moving forward, a couple of years after, I started seeing like girls doing, for example, like talent show. And I was like, oh, I would like to dance or do a lip sync. I would like to do these things. And I was like, oh, no, I'm not allowed since... I'm presenting as a boy at that time. And then move forward to high school where we had a day that was named like the sex change day so we could dress as the other gender. So seeing all of that, I was like, I wanted to dress as a stereotypical woman, like with a dress and makeup and everything. I really wanted to do that. So a couple of years, like I think was I was 16. So I did participate on one of those days. So it was the first time I, I would wear like woman clothing. And I really felt different on that day. I really felt like a happiness I never had. But I knew at that time, my head was telling me, you need to be a guy. You cannot like dress like that all day. And I remember even like in school, there was a couple of moments I was sitting at my desk and there was a girl in front of me that I just wanted to switch bodies with her. 
like we would see in certain movies, like you could like possess another uh, another soul. So I was like imagining that. But every time I was thinking those ideas, I was like, I'm not allowed to think like that. It just doesn't make any sense. I was just throwing them away. So I was 16, 17, 18. I was starting exploring a little bit more. These feelings were coming stronger and stronger. And then... I went to the university in Moncton and got a lot of bullying. Like one of my worst episodes of bullying in my life. And it really caused a lot of drama and got me to square one in building my confidence because I was bullied so much when I was in uh, elementary school and middle school that I, I started building my confidence back in high school. I was not as bullied in high school. But I was excluded of pretty much everything. No one wanted to talk to me. I was like uncool. Like even in class, I was really alone. So I was not bullied directly, but being alone, having no one talking to you is a form of bullying in itself. So when I got that episode of bullying at the university, it was for me, my confidence was completely shattered. It was really hard. So I moved to Quebec City and it took me It took me seven years before I started exploring again my gender identity. And it was at Halloween with a Halloween costume at my workplace. We had a contest and I was looking at all the costume in the catalog online. And I saw that Snow White costume in the catalog, but it was a, a costume that was made like for every guy that was more like a funny costume. I was like, okay, I'm pretty sure I can be a really pretty Disney princess. I was like, I'm going to do my costume and look as much as a stereotypical woman as I can. I did the costume and that day I felt so happy. I really liked looking at myself in the mirror also and I won the first prize for the costume at my workplace. At that time, after that, I remember a couple of weeks after Halloween, I started like buying more woman clothing and starting exploring with makeup. But I could not accept the fact that I was trans. I was like, oh, that's an escape. It's just to remove some stress because I was stressed at work. So I was like, okay, I'll do that from time to time and that's enough. I saw like in high school how there was someone that was gay that got a lot of bullying. So seeing that, I was like, I don't want to identify as trans because I'll get even more bullying that I already got. So I was really scared of that. The year passed and I started like, Going out with women clothing more often started like one time per month and then each two weeks, every week, and then multiple times per week. And it got to a point in December of 2019 where I realized that I'm trans. So that's where I started to talk about it to my coworkers. And my coworkers really, I started to tell them, oh, from time to time I go out like female presenting and coworkers did not like mine at all so I was like okay so that's good I talked about that to my parents and they took it a lot more hard I remember even at, when I talked to my parents for the first time about it I was like I think I'm trans like you said they could see that there's like a exit door but I knew at that time that 99.9% I was trans after I talked to my parents and my brother my parents especially took it the hardest took them multiple months to process everything. And then 
in April of 2020, when I officially did my coming out, they were a lot more accepting at that time. Now they are like great allies for me. And I really love them. So that's great. But it took them some time to process. And for me, doing my coming out was a choice between living happy or doing suicide. It was so dark in my head. I could not go out male presenting anymore. Like you said, like for a lot of us as trans person, doing a coming out is like a life or death decision. It is affecting our identity to its core, even more than sexual orientation, because first, our society is gender-based a lot. We see like everywhere with sports, with clothing, with even jobs. There's a lot of things divided by gender. So when you identify as trans, people need to change their perception of who you are. And that's really hard for people. It's not easy to explore your gender identity. It's not an easy process. So I did my coming out to everyone in uh, April of uh, 2020. For me, my coming out was really direct. I sent an email to all my coworkers. I think there was 200 people. That's a lot. <laughs> Just a nice yeah, one-page email explaining my story. And I did the same thing on social media. And at that time, I created new social accounts. I, was, I really wanted to separate myself of the person I was presenting before that was not me. At that time, I remember I did a post on Facebook. I was like, if you still want to be friend with me, add me on my new Facebook. Luckily for me, most people accepted me, but I still lost a couple of friends when I did my coming out. So yeah, coming out changed my life. Even as a trans person at first, I tried to fit the box of a stereotypical cisgender woman. I wanted to be the most female presenting I could, like with makeup, with clothing, everything. We were working remotely, like during the lockdown and COVID. And I was still doing full face makeup every day. <laughs> now that I think about it, it was ridiculous. But I was still taking a half an hour every day to do makeup. For me, it was a way like to feel more insecurity. But when I moved here in November in Moncton, and I started hanging out with my parents and my brother, I realized that whatever the way I present, they'll accept me. So that's where I really started to be the woman I really wanted to be. So that's my coming out story for gender identity. A year after that, I met a friend that was asexual. So because I always struggled to know, like, what's my sexual orientation? And when she talked to me about, like, what asexual is, I was like, that's me. Because when I was a teenager, I was with a group of guys and they were talking about, like, how they, they like to get horny and they, they, they like to have sex. I was like, what the hell? That's so weird. I prefer to eat cake or play video games than have sex. That sounds really boring. So I was like, I never really understood why people were doing that. And I pretended at that time I was having sex and I like being horny and everything that comes with that. But it was all a lie. When I talked to that person, I realized what asexual is. That's where I discovered what pan-romantic is. 
because I have always been attracted by the personalities, but I wanted a romantic relationship. When you find your identity, you know it. You don't go back. By talking to that person, I was able to find my sexual orientation. And since I identify as a panromantic, I had no doubt. It is my identity. Coming out as transgender was a lot harder for me than coming out with my sexual orientation because of the way it affected the perception of others about me. And also, it just gets to your core as a person. I think I'll maybe ask you to follow a bit on that, like about the difference on coming out on your gender identity and your sexual orientation. Yeah, of course. I completely agree when it comes to like your gender identity being so much more. It's like it's who you are, whereas a sexual orientation is a part of you. My sexual orientation, once I came out as lesbian, It was like, that was it, okay? So those who needed to know I was gay knew. Those who didn't like it, I didn't necessarily have people that cut ties with me um, because of my gender identity or sexual orientation. But I did have people after coming out as gay who just kept talking about how it wasn't normal around me or it's a sin. Things that I didn't need to hear. So I did end up cutting ties, like I made this decision myself to cut ties with people, even though no one directly decided to leave my life because of my coming out. But that was kind of it. After that, if I wanted to tell someone that I was gay, I would, and if I didn't, I wouldn't. And that was it. But like I said, the questioning didn't stop there. I had done my coming out, I thought that was it. And it wasn't. But the thing is, is that my gender identity, as like short and quick am I coming out with my sexual orientation was, my gender identity was much longer of a process. And it actually started much earlier than even my sexual orientation did. Even though in my mind, it, would, it didn't. In my mind, it was my sexual orientation that defined me. The fact that I was more masculine or the fact that I had questioned my gender identity, was explained that the, by the fact that I was attracted to females. Because, you know, lesbians just tend to be more masculine, right? No, it's not the case. I realize gender and sexual orientation are not the same, even though we sometimes think they're the same. My gender identity was much more complicated. I remember around five, six years old, whenever I'd play games of make-pretend with my friends, I'd always say, I want to be called Alex because I don't, we don't know if Alex is a boy or a girl. Alex is a neutral name. At the time, I, I understood what it meant being a guy or a girl. But I felt so neutral that for me, being a girl was not really of importance. People said I was a girl, I guess. So I kind of just took it. But it had no impact, I would say, on my life. I remember every once in a while in school, grade six, I remember they like split our sex ed class up. Girls in one class, guys in another. Why we had to learn something different, I don't know. But at the time, the school felt the need to split us up. And I remember thinking, well, I guess I, I'll go with the girls. It didn't really, to me, it was just a category. It had 
nothing to do with who I am. I did not relate to the other girls in my class. Like, I did not enjoy talking about makeup or talking about boys. So I usually just avoided them and I'd read my books at recess anyways. So it wouldn't make a difference to me. Like I said, the history of Poland, it doesn't really matter who you are. You can study it either way. So gender had nothing really to do with my life. I remember the only thing that bothered me was I was a ballerina as a kid. I spent 12 years doing ballet. I, right now, I would like go back to doing ballet at any point. My, I love it. I love dancing. My life is a little too hectic right now to go back to it. But one day I'd love to go back to dancing because really, I think it's an incredible sport. But other people don't perceive ballet as a sport. <laughs> when you think about ballet, oftentimes people think tattoos, tights, and makeup. But for me, that wasn't ballet. I would go to ballet class with shorts and a t-shirt. And I would enjoy ballet class just as any, any other day. But once a year, we'd have a recital. So once a year, I would have to put on my makeup. I remember having anxiety attacks when people would try to put mascara on because I thought it was the scariest thing, putting this black stuff on your, like, eyelashes. Like, what, do you want to torture yourself? I don't understand. But I did it because I had to. And good thing I did because when you're on stage with lights, you don't put on makeup, you're a ghost. So I did need makeup. But I was so jealous of the guys. and Because the guys who I danced with, they would wear makeup, but they wouldn't do the full eyeshadow and red lipstick. They'd do more of a basic makeup, very masculine, very neutral. They'd wear different costumes than us. They'd wear black shoes instead of pink shoes. They didn't need to wear tights or tutus. And I wish I was. I used to think, oh, if only I could be a guy just for the recital, just so I could not have to deal with the tutus and the tights and the makeup and just enjoy ballet without having to worry about that. But I'd put up with it once a year for recital. I'd pretend I was a different person, go up on stage and pretend to be an actor in a movie. Fun fact, after my coming out as gay, I watched a lot of movies. One of my favorite queer movies is But I'm a Cheerleader. If anyone's watched it, 10 out of 10 would recommend. I personally think that if someone wants to write a movie, but I'm a dancer about a non-binary dancer who wishes to be like the guys who they dance with, you can use me. I kind of felt like that was my life is, but I'm a cheerleader, but as a non-binary dancer, wishing that I could just wear pants instead of my tutu. But I put up with it. And other than that, Gender had nothing to do with my day-to-day -day life. It wasn't really until middle school when I realized that gender had such an importance to people. Because that's where we went from kids playing soccer on the schoolyard to being teenagers that were too cool for sports and preoccupied by boys and makeup and clothes. And I thought that to fit in, that's what I had to do. So I switched my wardrobe to jeans and like skinny jeans and crop tops and makeup. And I did try to live as a cisgender girl for a little bit. And it didn't work. 
I wasn't happy. I felt like I was pretending to be someone else. So what coming out as gay allowed me was to dress how I wanted to because I thought, well, I'm gay, so I don't have to fit in with everyone else. So I allowed myself to wear more masculine clothes, but it didn't change the fact that there was still something with my gender. And that's when, around high school, I started learning what it was to be trans. In the way I learned it in school, it was very much a binary thing, you know? A trans person is someone who was born female and identifies as male, or vice versa. It's female or male. You're still in the binary. So I started questioning the fact that maybe I am a guy. But perceiving myself as male was no better than perceiving myself as female. Either way, there was something missing. I did not feel like I was one or the other. And so I decided school wasn't going to get me the answers I needed. And I went to YouTube and spent way too much time on YouTube trying to figure out who I was and what I identify as. I learned a variety of identities and explored with a variety of identities. At one point, I thought really that I might be demigirl, which is like somewhere on the spectrum, but not completely female, but like not completely male, more on the female side of things. But I was like, I still don't know if I feel more female than male. I kind of just feel neutral. So then I discovered what non-binary was. Um, And the way I discovered non-binary was a big umbrella term that basically meant you're not female or male. You're somewhere else. And I was like, that's fun. I don't need to be one or the other. So I started identifying as non-binary and started questioning the fact that maybe I am non-binary. And I started talking to some of my friends about being non-binary a little bit in high school. I remember I had like a friend that I asked at one point if they would use they, them pronouns with me. And then I was like, no, never mind. That's okay. You, you don't have to. Too much effort. I'd backtrack a lot. I even remember at one point I got a binder. A binder, if you don't know what it is, it's like, it kind of looks like a tank top, but it's a very compressive tank top. So it, the goal is to hide, uh, to, to appear to have a flat chest. So to hide any like breast appearance. Um, on people with born with breasts. So I started wearing a binder that I got from a trans friend who had gotten a new one and no longer needed it. I actually ended up forgetting about the fact that I even had a binder in high school because I was so ashamed and so afraid that others would discover that I wore a binder that I ended up throwing it out and completely erasing that out of my brain. Because Even though I wanted to explore my gender identity, I was not yet there. And so I kept backtracking. I'd like think, oh, I'm non-binary. No, never mind. Oh, I'm demigirl. No, never mind. And in university, I switched provinces completely, met new people, and just avoided the subject completely. I would come out to everyone who I met as a gay person, but I wouldn't talk about my gender identity. Even in second year of university, I became the vice president of the Student 2SLGBTQ plus association at my university, but I still wouldn't talk about my gender identity. Um, I really pushed all of those feelings I had on the back burner. And it wasn't until 
COVID, where we were all stuck with way too much time on our hands, that I started rethinking about my gender identity and realizing I could no longer avoid the topic because I just, it, it got to a point where it preoccupied my brain and I, I would try to write projects or read books, but I couldn't concentrate on anything because all I would think of was my gender identity. But coming out as a non-binary person for me was so much scarier than coming out as gay. Because that didn't mean, for me, being non-binary meant I could no longer choose who I came out to or not. Because if I was non-binary, it wasn't just a matter of who I was attracted to. It was a matter of who I am as a person. It was a matter of how people saw me, how people perceived me. So I had to have, I, I had to come out as to everyone I met to ensure that people would perceive me in the way that I wanted them to perceive me and not as a female. So it was a lot scarier. And then there was a lot more things to take into consideration. When I came out as who I was attracted to, it was just a matter of who I would be dating. But when it came to my gender identity, it was a matter of what pronouns was I going to use? What was, was I going to change my name or not? Was I going to end up taking hormones, having surgery, any medical procedures? Where was I going to go with my gender identity? I had, with your gender identity, there's so many more factors that play into account. And as a 21-year-old, I simply, and even now as a 23-year-old, I consider the f that I, I personally think that I don't know myself enough to know everything I want in life, including what I want with my gender identity. Right now, I don't know if I want hormones or a surgery eventually. And I've had to accept that I might never know it. Or I might figure it out one day and then go from there. But that's a part of being a person and figuring out who you are. When I first came out as non-binary, I did the quick and easy thing, which was write a quick Instagram post and have everyone know at the same time. Most of my people on Instagram, I chose Instagram rather than Facebook this time strategically because... I knew that the people I had on Instagram were people who were closer to me. I had a smaller following. And they were mostly friends that I had in Moncton. I was stuck back in Cape Breton in a pandemic. Um, everyone else was stuck in Moncton in a pandemic. So I wasn't going to see anyone. I didn't really want to go the, to each person and go, hey, got something to tell you. So I just... Again, took the band-aid off in one shot, posted a post on Instagram, and it went really well. With everyone at university, I, I was already an openly gay person, so for me, it was just taking that extra step to make sure people perceived me as being a non-binary person instead of being a female person. When I first came out, I had no preference when it came to my pronouns. Then with time, I started asking that and like more insisting that people use they, them pronouns for me, just because I realized that use, saying to use any pronoun meant that most people would use she, her, and I do not like when people use she, her pronouns for me. 
So I started more insisting on the fact that they, them pronouns really do make me feel more comfortable and I prefer when people use they, them pronouns for me. I also did not change my name at first, but with time I realized that I like the name Alex. It's both bilingual and neutral, so win-win. And so I started using the name Alex. But all of these things are things I figured out with time. And I think that's one of the things I had to I had to accept is that I wasn't going to figure it all out at once. It wasn't like I would sit down and go, okay, who I am as a trans person. Who I am as a trans person is something that's going to change every day of my life because I'm going to change and continue to change throughout my life. If I end up staying the same, I think I'm going to live a pretty boring life. So I prefer to change over time and to continue to grow and to continue to learn. Um, And that's what I had to teach myself was that it's a process. It's not one time thing. My coming out is also a process. Every day, if I meet someone new, I have to come out again so that I can ensure that that person perceives me the way I perceive myself. Because unfortunately, being non-binary is not well known enough that most people, when they meet me, they will assume that I'm female unless I tell them otherwise. And so I have to tell them otherwise. I have to come out to tell them otherwise. And so I think it's more of a process than when it just comes to my sexual orientation. The other thing is, is that it changes not only the way people perceive you, but also the language people use. And that's a big thing for me. When it comes to my parents, when I came out to them as being non-binary, my parents were very accepting. Although their first question was, what is non-binary? And I did have to explain to them from the beginning. It did cause them a lot of confusion at first, um, not really realizing that being non-binary was being trans and that it entails more than just this is who I am, but this is the pronoun and the name I want you to use. And I think that's one of the things people struggle with the most is not the accepting part. The accepting part, for me personally, those who I've had to cut off are people who I've had cut out from my life regardless of my gender or sexual orientation. I don't necessarily feel like I've had more hatred from people based upon my gender identity or my sexual orientation. But the big difference is is that when it comes to my gender identity, people have no problem accepting me. But it is the effort of actually accepting and respecting me that I find is different. So people will say one thing. They will say, yes, we accept you. And they won't necessarily be direct or say any hatred, do anything hateful against you directly. But using they, them pronouns, I will say people use she, her pronouns more often than they, their pronouns for me. And when people use she, her pronouns on me, it does affect me. We had this discussion earlier about how gender dysphoria, so that any feeling of distress caused by your the way people perceive you not being in line with the way you perceive yourself when it comes to your gender identity. Gender dysphoria is not a choice. It's a reaction that is an automatic reaction that you have 
no control over. So when people use she, her pronouns, when referring to me, my body goes into this like panic mode for a few seconds and I do not have control over it. I don't even realize I go into this panic mode until I do. But I can feel it like my, I can feel it even in the way I breathe, it changes. And that's not to say that people who use she, her pronouns for me are bad people and that, oh, they have these worst intentions. They should be put in jail. No, it's normal. Okay. We mess up as humans. We make mistakes, but just realize at what point it affects me to be told she, her pronouns. And all I ask is that people put in that little bit of effort to learn to use she, her pronouns and to learn to talk with a more inclusive language, just that my body does not have to go into that panic mode, that shutdown mode. Imagine like a, a hour conversation where I'm getting misgendered every five minutes. Well, that's every five minutes that my body's going into that panic mode. It's tiring on the body, it, mentally and physically. And it's not like I have control over it. Whereas I think that the language people use, they do have control over it. That's not to say we don't make mistakes. But I have people that tend to think that they're allies, I believe, that do not necessarily put in that extra effort. And I will say, there's, for me, there's a big, big difference between someone to, that says they accept me and someone who actually goes that extra mile to include me and respect me completely in their language. Wow, what a great explanation. I'll talk a bit about, like, for me, like I said earlier, gender identity and sexual orientation are two different things. Sexual orientation, it can be hard to explore it. People, like, get dark thoughts, get suicidal thoughts exploring their sexual orientation. But the difference is about the perception of the others. Yes, there are some people that are homophobic and transphobic. And whatever, if you come out as gay or trans, you'll be rejected, like you said on, in your experience. But when you're trans, you cannot hide the fact that you're trans. And if you want to be happy, people need to take action to accept you, like using your preferred name and pronoun. So that makes it harder. Also, there's a lot more question you ask yourself when you're trans, since the society is based on the gender binary. You need to ask yourself, do I change my name? Do I get some medical treatment? Do I get some operation? So even like the way you'll talk, the way you'll like walk, it's all these things together makes who you are at your cores. It's a lot harder to explore your gender identity and it's a lot harder to come out and be accepted as trans because we have trouble having people being allies that take action. For example, I have still a lot of trouble having some people, for example, from my family, not using the correct pronouns. And it feels like, because I don't see them often, it's like coming out each time I see it. Exactly what you said. So there's a lot of uh, similarities between our experience. So for me, gender identity was a 
at the core of all my questioning, my exploration. Like even at first when I came out as trans, I was trying to fit the box of the cisgender woman and that meant also having a relationship only with men. I was like, I'm different enough being trans. I don't want to add anything else and being even more bullied. So that took some time to accept it and be, okay, I'm asexual, I'm panromantic. I'll date whatever person. I don't care about the gender. So that took me some time to accept it. But it did not change the way people saw me like being trans did. Because there's a lot of people that know that I'm trans, but they don't know that I'm panromantic or don't know what it is. And they will not talk to me about it. But being trans, they'll, be, they'll come at me, will be, hey, can I ask you a question? So, and that can be a, another, that's a, another discussion, the way we have as trans person to educate people. That's, a, that's another uh, podcast in itself. There's a, a lot of weight on us to educate people when they could take a bit more time to listen, for example, to my podcast or to YouTube videos to learn more by themselves. So yeah, so someone that's gay, that's bisexual, that's, that is lesbian, doesn't know what it feels being trans and our coming out experience are different because it affects us a lot at our core existence in a way that your sexual orientation cannot. So even the queer community as trans person, we have some trouble being accepted because of that. We need allies, not only with people that are heterosexual and cisgender, but also in the queer community. We need people that are gay, bi, or lesbian to be able to accept us, to use the correct name and pronouns, and to do everything to make us feel welcome. I'll reiterate on what you said about the gender dysphoria. Like, I don't control how being misgendered makes me feel. Like, I know a lot of trans people being misgender is not a big deal for them. But for me, and like you said, for you, it's a big deal. Because for me, it really triggers a physical reaction in my body. I get sick. I get heartburns. It gets really dark in my head when I get misgendered repeatedly. And I need to exit that situation. And if people, even if they see that they accept me as a trans person, but if I see them, they always misgender me, I will not be able to have a relationship with these people because it just makes me feel too much pain. So when we say people like need to take action to accept us, it's a question of our well-being. It's not the preference for us. I cannot decide to like let it go on the misgendering. No, I cannot do that. My body doesn't let me. Misgendering me will always affect me. And it's hard, even if I present inside the binary, even if I identify in the binary as a woman, I still get misgendered a lot because people use the voice to gender people. That's something people need to stop. The most simplest way to explain it is gender identity affects you really at your core as a person. And it is hard to explore it and to accept when you're trans. 
So I'll end it at this. I think we could talk about it for a long time. So before we end this podcast, I would like you to talk more about the service you offer. I know you offer like to do speaking engagement and also conference or your implication in the community. And lastly, how to contact you. All right. Well, one thing I really took from my journey, my queer journey, is that as a kid, as a younger trans person, I would have really benefited from having more representation and more education when it came to gender, sexual, and romantic diversity. And so what I strive to do, um, because I'm a big person in making sure others don't go through the same obstacles that you go through, is the philosophy of be the person you needed when you were younger. And that really is the line that I base all my decisions on. If I do this, am I being the person who I needed when I was younger? If yes, I am going in the right direction. That's what I base my life decisions on. That led me to a few things. One of the things it led me to was in second year, presenting myself as vice president of the 2S LGBTQ plus student group at the university, which I was elected as vice president and then spent my third and fourth year at university as president of the committee. During my time, if you know anything about student groups, one of the things about students is that there are, they are temporary. There are some students that are more permanent than others, although usually you don't spend your whole life studying, with a few exceptions. I am one of those exceptions. But, you know, usually university students, let's say a four or five year journey, and then they're on and off to other things. If you know anything about queer organizations, they're roller coasters as well. It's a little bit of up and down because like any volunteer group, it really depends on who's around the table. And for a few years, there wasn't a lot happening around the table. So when I started in the group, I wanted to pick things back up. When I started, it was hard to find you had to know, you had to really go looking for a queer group to find the queer group. It wasn't just there. I wanted it to be there. I wanted everyone to know whether they were queer or not. I wanted everyone to know it existed. I wanted the, all the staff members at the university to know that we existed because when I talked to people about it, no one knew what the name Prism was or what it meant. So I started working on just that and If I can say so myself, I think me and my gang succeeded. We organized drag shows at our small bar at the university um, where we'd have almost like two, between 203 people, 300 people show up to our drag shows. We'd have um, local drag performers from Moncton region as well as a few students performing in drag. Personally, drag has always been on my bucket list. And so when I went to organize a drag show, I ended up doing some drag too, which I would 10 out of 10 recommend. It is so much fun and a very gender euphoric experience as well, where you can just explore and have fun with your gender identity. So did events like that, smaller events as well, like 
pizza lunches, you know, students like free pizza. Well, anyone really likes free pizza. Who doesn't like pizza? So we'd have pizza uh, study nights, board game nights, just anything we can do to bring that sense of belonging to queer students on campus. Our goal was to create a safe space for people on campus. So we had a few projects during my time. Like one of the projects was we did not have a gender neutral bathroom in each building. So we succeeded a few year project, but we succeeded in getting at least one gender neutral washroom in each building. We also succeeded in becoming members of different administrative councils so we could be part of decisions that the university made in order to have that queer representation and that queer voice in all of the university's decisions makings. We were also consulted in different, so whenever there were policies that, that the university would say adapt or reevaluate that concerned the queer community, like there was one time where they were revamping the policy when it came to hiring people, making sure that their hiring policies were inclusive. We, as students, were consulted in their hiring policies to give our advice because they saw us as a queer expertise to say whether or not they succeeded in including queer people into their policies. So for me, I saw ourselves as a service to ensure that the queer people be represented. We also got funding to buy binders, tuck sets, menstrual products, and other things useful for people, uh, whether it be queer people or just humans in general, that we would offer for free for any students of the university who needed them. And we did a lot of education too. Like I said, I'm a nerd. I love education. It's my passion. So that were those were my passion projects. Actually, just on Wednesday, Audrey and I were on a panel at the university to talk about, answer all questions to do with gender, sexual, and romantic diversity. And it was one of many panels that I spoke on at the university. Um, I did presentations to different student groups, different groups of professors as well, and even in classrooms where I got to speak to people to kind of talk about the queer community. We also used our social media to reach out to people and through fun and interactive ways, for example, posting every Thursday, we do Trivia Thursday, where we post a trivia question on our Instagram stories so people could win points to win prizes. And it'd be a way of making sure that they were educated, like asking them fun trivia questions about the queer community, which is a game, but it shows people that we are there and we are visible. And the more content we were putting out, the more followers we were gaining and the more people were actually using our content and learning from our content. And that was the goal. That took me further and gave me different opportunities. Like with my work at Prism, I also started volunteering with another um, pride organization in the province called Griacadzi. So GRI is an acronym in French, Groupe de Recherche et d'Intervention Sociale, or in English, Research Group and Social Interventions, which sounds like a very fancy word, which basically means a group of volunteers that go in classrooms and talk about what it is being queer. 
where I would go into classrooms in primary and secondary schools to just talk about my experience and see if people relate or can take something away from my experience. I think that there's a lot of power in people sharing their stories because the more we have our stories told, the more we tell our stories, the more people can relate and not feel alone in their own journey and their own stories. And then it went from people asking me because I am the president of Privs to me because I became this queer activist in a way um, that people started asking me questions personally about the queer community and reaching out to me personally. And so I started working a little bit more independently, um, creating different conferences and presentations on the queer community so I could offer these when people would ask me. I got a few different organizations and businesses asking me. For example, most recently I did a conference a few week a few months ago in the Acadian Peninsula in Chipagan where I spoke to a bunch of professors on how they can better include queer students into their teaching methods. I spoke to groups that would bring in international students who might also be queer and how cultural differences affect queer identities. And because of people who I got to meet along the way, I can not only go into these situations with my story, but I also have so many other people around me that I can take from their stories to ensure that what I offer in my presentations doesn't come just from me, but that comes from the queer community as a large. And I do put in as much work as I can to keep myself educated and keep myself in the know on things that change in the queer community so I can keep myself up to date and give the right information to the right people. And so that's what I strive to do in my conferences. So if ever you're interested in knowing more about myself, knowing more about my journey or more about what I do, feel free to reach out to me. I'll send some of my links um, and maybe we can get those in the description. And then if you can, if you want to follow me, Facebook, Instagram, send me an email. However you want to contact me, I'd be more than happy to chat and keep the conversation going. Perfect. We'll definitely add the links in the description of this episode. So a big thank you, Alex. It was a pleasure to have you on this podcast. I think our listeners are really going to enjoy this episode. So a big thank you. And I'm sure that you'll be back on the podcast very soon. I'm already excited for that. Thank you so much. Finally, I invite you to subscribe to my podcast on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, or Google Podcasts, and to follow Trends with a Voice on Facebook and Instagram. Don't forget that a society that is more inclusive to the transgender community is better for everyone. Thanks, and see you next time.